For tape, CDs, DVDs, to our publication, Voices from His Excellent Glory, Declaring the Kingdom, write P.O. Box 21516, Hot Springs, Arkansas, Zip 71903. Our website is www.lakehamiltonbiblecamp.com and lhbconline.com. There are hundreds of free audio files there. It's like going to Bible school at home. This is the 2021 Lake Hamilton Bible Camp April Virtual Zoom Meeting. Deborah Vales is hosting this meeting with Lake Hamilton Bible Camp's director, Merrill Miller. This is Saturday morning, April the 17th, 2021. Carla Butard is the speaker of the morning, teaching on a call to action in spiritual warfare. Uh, the speaker had started talking a few seconds before they hit the record button. Now, he's the, the important thing is he's already won the war, but there is a fight to be fought. As Paul said, I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. So there is a war to be fought. And we are all um, warriors. The minute you said yes to Jesus, you joined his army. I never knew that. I just thought I became a Christian and I was saved and uh but I never really understood that I was in a war. But we are in a war. And it let's see, I was trying to think how long ago it was. Um I think it was two thousand eleven. I was driving home from Merrill's dad's funeral. Glenn Miller, who founded Lake Hamilton Bible Camp. And we had had even an unusual year then in that we had a drought in Texas. It was a a really bad drought in Texas. And um, it had been unusually windy that whole year. And when I was driving home from the funeral, there were actually times that I felt the wind might flip my car uh, off the highway when I would get into a wide open space. It was just crazy windy. And so uh, when I got closer to home, of course, we have a, we live in a national forest. So the trees are close to the road. And um, I noticed, you know, usually when the wind blows, the trees bend with the wind kind of in unison, but not this day. It was um, some of the trees were bending left, some were bending right. Others were actually twirling around um, at the top, and so it was really strange. And so I was driving along, and I'm looking out of my windshield at the strange thing that was going on and I said Lord what in the world and and then it was like my spiritual eyes were opened and I could see these huge entities flying swiftly furiously in the atmosphere some were flying right to left and some were flying left to right some were flying front to back some back to front and it was their wake of movement that was causing the trees to behave so strangely. And as I noticed that, I heard God say that the warfare 
between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness is intensifying. And you're going to start hearing things you've never heard before and seeing things you've never seen before. Now, that was in 2011. Um, so, boy, you know, have we ever seen things we've not seen before and hearing things we've not heard before. This is a different time and season in the kingdom of God on the earth. Um, and then, um, I read some scriptures and I, I'm, you know, you're probably like me. You read the Bible and you read scriptures and you read scriptures and the same ones. But one day something happens with a particular scripture and that's what happened. And I was reading Luke chapter 22. Um, I'm going to read several scriptures there. Luke 22, 35. And Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said unto them, in verse 35, when I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said, nothing. They lacked nothing. Remember when Jesus sent them out, he said, don't take a purse, don't take a scrip, don't take a change of clothes. And, uh, and because he was going to provide Everything they needed, and he did. And they are attesting to that. They lacked nothing. In verse 36, then said he unto them, but now. Now, I want you to know that that little phrase, but now, denotes a change. Um, And we'll talk more about that later. But now, he that hath a purse let him take it. And likewise, script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So this change, Jesus is talking about uh, something's different now. And so he tells them, if you have no sword, sell your garment and buy one. Now, I don't think in reading this that God Jesus meant go buy, you know, weapons, swords, all that. I mean, which some people are, and that's fine. You know, you must live your conviction. What God is convicting you to do, you have to do. But um, what I see in this is it was confirmation to what God had said, that the warfare is intensifying. Jesus is letting them know it's intensifying. In 37, for I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. Now, it was right after this, when they came to apprehend Jesus, that, um, one of the disciples cut the ear off the soldier. Remember that? And as many times as I have read that, that the ear was cut off the soldier, it never occurred to me to even think, wait a minute, they didn't carry weapons. Where'd they get this sword to cut off this guy's ear? Never occurred to me. 
But that was right after Jesus said, but now. See, so um, I don't know. I don't think it said particularly who did it, but I always, in my mind, it was Peter because he was always the one uh, to be compulsive. You know, he would he would say things before he thought about it, and he would do things before he thought about it. And so, because Jesus had said that, he felt permission, you know, to take arms against the soldiers that came to apprehend Jesus. But what this shows me is we definitely have entered a new time in this world, on the world, uh, on the earth, uh, concerning the warfare. And what I'm really presenting to you today is a call to action in warfare, not bearing arms or anything like that, not protesting, none of that. But I am giving you a call to action because as the church, we should uh, be actively engaged in warfare and as Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. This is not a flesh and blood war. This is a spiritual war. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Okay, so uh, one year I was at Lake Hamilton behind the pulpit teaching. And I had an open vision what happened was for a split second, like in, I'm just talking like I am now, but I was at Lake Hamilton and in the back uh, corner of the room is where people go in and out of the building, the sanctuary. And what I saw was uh, the door flew open and there was a man in full fatigues. He also had um, a, a thing over his head. All you could see was a square where his eyes were. And the fatigues, they weren't like the United States Army fatigues. They were different. I'd never seen those kind of fatigues before. Um, this was early, early in my years of teaching at Lake Hamilton, which I, the first time I taught was 2004. And this was some years into it, but not very many. And the man that he shouldered in, one foot stayed outside. The other foot was inside the building. And he had a machine gun in his hands. And as he got into the building, he lowered the gun and just sprayed bullets. Just, and then he was out. Now, that vision lasted maybe a second or two. It was very short, but it was so shocking to me that actually I stopped talking, and I I couldn't have told you in that split second what I was even teaching on. It it just really took my my concentration. It was a, a big distraction. Now, because it was early on in my years there, I didn't stop. I didn't say anything. 
and then I regained my consciousness, so to speak, and went on with the teaching. But as soon as I left the building, I called my husband because I took it sort of as a a warning um, of an attack against me personally, you know, in the spirit realm. So I called my husband and I said, honey, really be praying for me. I mean, I know you always pray for me, but I mean, really be covering me this time. And I told him what I saw. What I wish I had done was stopped right when I saw it and t- tell everyone there, look, let hold on. I'm going to tell you what I just saw, and we need to pray right now. I don't know what this means, but we should have prayed right then and come against any kind of an attack like that. Um, so years later, I began to understand what that vision was. And what it meant was that there was going to be a swift and sudden attack on not me personally by myself, but on the ministry, on Lake Hamilton, per se. Um, Because I thought to myself, if it was going to be personally against me, it wouldn't have been a machine gun. It would have been a sniper. A sniper takes out one. A machine gun takes out many. Randomly, wherever the bullets hit, that's who gets hit. Well, it wasn't long after that that there were there was a death at Lake Hamilton. There was um, different infirmities that struck different people at Lake Hamilton. Um. One of the women there that was on on staff and living at Lake Hamilton basically lost her mind, and she was put in an institution. Um, another had a stroke. Another had cancer. Two died. You know, so I began to see this attack on Lake Hamilton, and I did go to Glenn. As I began to see different people being attacked with a swift, sudden attack, um, I went to Glenn and I said, Glenn, I have got to tell you this. And I shared with him um, the vision. And I said, I wish I had come to you the minute that it happened, but I didn't understand it like I did at that time. So... Um, I shared it with him and, and he had been stricken. Uh, he had a growth in his throat and then eventually it took his voice. Um, so, so, you know, that was a, a picture of a, a fit, a physical picture of what's going on spiritually. And that is that if you are in the army of God, you can, um, you can be sure that you have a target on you concerning the enemy. Now, I'm not telling you that to scare you. It should be something we're told not long after we're saved. I need to tell you, you've got an enemy. It's kind of like the way I was for so many years, not understanding this warfare. 
was like I had joined the Army. They gave me a uniform so that I am identified by enemy, uh, you know, people that we go to war with. But um, nobody even told me that there was a fight involved or, or who the enemy was so that if I were to enter into a war like that, not even having my weapon, I would be, I would be easy to take out. And I, I, I believe that across the board, there are so many of us Christians, believers, that have not been properly taught about the, um, the warfare that we are in. So um, that's what I want to talk about today and to encourage you and to strengthen you in this warfare that we are in and a call to action to become engaged in this warfare. I just imagine that if the corporate body of Christ came together and began to do spiritual warfare that we would see greater victories now in the earth. I believe that with all of my heart. And that's why I want to talk about this, this uh, spiritual warfare that we are in. Um, another thing that God spoke to me, I, I remember I was praying about certain things that I was witnessing in the church. And I was asking God about it because it was, It didn't make sense to me. And at that time, he told me, I heard him say, I am about to separate the sheep. And in my mind, I finished and and the goats. You know how it says the sheep will be separated from the goats. So that's in my mind what I thought he was fixing to say. But what he did say was perplexing. He said, I am about to separate the sheep from the sheep. And I thought, well, that's weird. How are you going to separate the sheep from the sheep? Well, what over the years I've begun to see is that there are sheep, which I can, like, I see those particular sheep um, as the remnant. And then there are other sheep in the, in the big body of Christ that really are not quite sheep. They're in the fold, but they're not really sheep. So I have begun to see that. And even it didn't even hit me till the other day that, oh my goodness, that's what's happening right now with with this that's going on in the world right now, because you have, you have the, the sheep, the remnant who are not falling for the fear tactic of the enemy in the earth today. But then you have other sheep that are shaken in their boots, scared to death of what's going on on the earth. So I'm seeing a separation of the sheep from the sheep. In Second Peter 1, verse 2, I'm going to start there. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you 
through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And that we see those great and precious promises in his word. That's where you're going to find your great and precious promises. That by these, by these great and precious promises, ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay, and uh, verse 15 says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. See, uh, Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. As we hear, as we read the word of God, and by the way, if you don't do this, I think it would add to your um, ability to recall, remember, store the word of God in your heart. God told me years ago to read the word out loud. Mm-hmm. And that was as a result of saying, you know, I would be reading the word in 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 this part of my mind and then in the other part of my mind I'm I'm making a grocery list or you know a list of things that I need to do and it would it would frustrate me and God said well read it out loud read the word out loud because as you see it with your eyes and then you say it with your mouth and then you hear it with your ear It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so what happens is those words that are going into your eyes, coming out of your mouth and into your ears are going down into your heart and in uh, igniting, igniting faith in your heart. So if you have a problem with your mind wandering while you're, uh, praying or reading the word, he said, do it out loud. Um, also, the word, it says in Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is quick, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and a discerner. Of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So see, a lot of people sometimes they want me to pray for them to have more discernment. And I used to pray for them. Lord, give them more discernment. But no, the word is a discerner. If you want, if you need more discernment, get in his word. The more word you have in you, the better you're going to be able to discern the things that you hear. And listen, this day and time, we need to have keen discernment 
over what we're hearing because there is a lot of things being given in the name of the Lord that are not quite of the Lord. Uh, so we need to be able to discern. Okay, so it says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Now, here is the definition of virtue. The Strong's Concordance says that virtue means valor or strength of mind in regard to danger. See, it's the danger element that we have that is intensifying in the world today. Um, That quality which enables a man to encounter danger with firmness, not shaking in your boots, no, firmness, personal bravery. It means courage. It means intrepidity, which means fearlessness. Fearless bravery in danger. Undaunted courage or boldness. And the definition of boldness is to be frank in utterance or confident in spirit and demeanor. It means be or wax bold. Preach. Speak boldly. Having prowess. And that is excellence. Purity of heart. Uprightness of mind. Sincerity. Virtue. Piety are excellencies of character. See, so we are to add to our faith virtue. And that, I mean, that's what we need uh, today is to have that, that valor, bravery, courage. Okay, the Webster Dictionary, and see, all of those words have to do with warfare. You have to have that in order to do spiritual warfare. Um, Webster Dictionary says virtue means strength, that substance or quality of physical bodies by which they act and produce effects on other bodies. See, so when when you have virtue and you're acting in valor, it's going to have an effect on others uh, to join in. You know, they will, they will join in with you. Um, you know, I, Mike and I took a trip, uh, in July of 2020, right in the middle of, um, of COVID. We, um, took our mask, of course. The, the hotel wanted you to have your mask on when you were in the common areas of the hotel. But we had gone outside. It, it was the Hangar Hotel in San Antonio across the back, the whole back of that uh, hotel. There is a balcony and you can sit out there. You can see everybody in the planes and you can watch the sunset. It's a real peaceful setting. And Mike and I were sitting out there and we did not have on our masks because we were out there by ourselves. Well, here comes a group of people, about three couples, and they all had their mask on, and we greeted them when they walked out, and they said, oh, good, you don't have your mask on, so they all took off their mask. 
And then we started talking about the situation in the world and the, the, you know, all the problems that it was causing for people. You know, if the government shuts down every place, nobody can go to work. That was a terrible thing for our country, for people not to be able to go to work. It, it was a shutdown. And uh, we were talking about that. And I said, you know, it's, it's really beginning to make me angry, all the things that are happening around this. And to the point, I'm ready to start a revolution. I mean, is somebody going to do anything? Are we all just going to march to, you know, march to the drummer? And uh, this one lady said, hey, have at it. We'll be right behind you. And I said, is that what people are waiting for? A leader? Somebody that will stand up and and say something and do something? Well, evidently, and and not many people are because the um, the opinion of the world system, you know, the the... Uh, CDC and all these other people and everybody's trying to march to the drummer and be, be obedient to everything that they're told, uh, to the point of oppression and suppression. We've been suppressed during all of this. Well, I don't know how many of you saw the clip, uh, of the, of the man in Canada that drove the police came to his church on Easter Sunday, and he drove them out. I mean, I was just cheering this man on. I was like, oh, boy, is this going to be the leader? You know, enough is enough. You're not going to tell us we can or cannot worship and get together and uh, even telling people at Christmas not to get together with your families and Thanksgiving and the people who were dying, you know, with COVID, they would not even let their loved ones be in their, in the room with them. That to me is downright barbaric. It is criminal. I just cannot, you know, like I said, seeing things we've never seen before and hearing things we've never heard before. And it was tragic. I just, like I said, I was ready to start a revolution. Okay. So um, it will have an effect on other bodies. That's what I was getting at. Someone with valor, someone with strength and courage and boldness and all of those things. Um, it means bravery. It means moral goodness, the practice of moral duties from s- sincere love to God and his laws. Virtue is voluntary obedience to the truth. It means acting power. Excellence or that which constitutes value and merit. Efficacy. Had to look that up. That's not a word we use every day. It means power to produce effects power. Production to the effect intended. And it means authority. Okay. Knowledge, it says add to your virtue. Knowledge. Knowledge means to know, allow, be aware of, feel, have, 
have known, perceive, be resolved, be sure, understand, and science, the comprehension or understanding of truth or facts by the mind. Webster's definition of knowledge is a clear and certain perception of that which exists or of truth and fact, learning and the illumination of the mind. See, it's to to be sure um, made me think of the scripture uh, where Paul said in Romans 4.21 that he was fully persuaded, fully persuaded that that which God had promised, he was also able to perform. I love that. Um, it comes from belief, believing the word and acting on the word of God. I also thought of the scripture, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Okay, so in 2 Peter 1, 6, it continues. And to knowledge, we're still adding things. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. Now, those words, temperance means self-control, especially the ability to hold or withhold. Uh, Patience, calmness, sedateness, and restraint, which all of those things are the opposite of panic and mass hysteria, right? Um, In fact, I didn't call it a pandemic. I call it panic-demic, because it has set people into a state of panic and mass hysteria. You know, they have uh, lifted the mask mandate in Texas, and which, you know, Mike and I, we rarely wore ours because we rarely went anywhere, but even where we were, um, if you walked into a place and you didn't have your mask, they wouldn't say anything to you. Some would. Some would run up to you. Oh, oh, ma'am, do you need a mask? And I said, no, thank you, and just went on. Um, Mike, Mike won't even, he wouldn't even wear it. There was one time that we had to leave uh, a little restaurant when we were out of town, and they would not let us in there. We were the only, it was like, Three in the afternoon when we went to eat, there wasn't a soul in the restaurant, and they were going to make us put on a mask to walk to our table. I'm like, there's not even anybody here. It was, it's just, I don't know. I just, it's crazy to me. Okay, so um, uh, let's see. Okay, temperance and then patience means cheerful. Or hopeful endurance of waiting. Now, <laughs> listen to these words. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, in the love scriptures. Love is patient and kind. <laughs> Long-suffering and kind. That's what it was. Long-suffering and kind. <laughs> uh, there was a time in my life when I was suffering. It didn't matter how long it was. I certainly wasn't kind. In my suffering, 
Okay, the suffering of afflictions, pain, toil, calamity, provocation, and other evil with a calm, unruffled temper. How many of us can say that that's how we are when we are suffering all those things? Endurance, listen to this, without murmuring or fretfulness. A calm temper which bears evils without murmuring or discontent. Ouch. <laughs> um, a, let's see. The act or quality of waiting long for justice or expected good without discontent. The quality of bearing offenses and injuries without anger or revenge. That's what patience is. Godliness is godliness like holiness, specifically the gospel scheme, what is laid out for us in the word of God. Godliness in the Webster Dictionary means piety, belief in God, and reverence for his character and laws. A religious life, a careful observance of the laws of God, and performance of religious duties proceeding from love and reverence for the divine character and commands. It means Christian obedience. Okay, holiness is the state of being holy, purity or integrity of moral character, freedom from sin, sanctity, applied to the supreme being, holiness, Devotes, perf, no, denotes, excuse me, holiness denotes perfect purity or integrity of moral character, one of his essential attributes. Applied to human beings, holiness is purity of heart or dispositions, sanctified affections, piety, moral goodness, but not perfect. Okay, so in all of this that we have gone through this last year, I do feel that it, that it has been a not only a call to action, but a call to holiness. I mean, I think about the day, uh, the days of Noah when he was building the ark. We could, I have felt, uh, sort of an invitation to enter into the ark. At this time. So, um, and also a return to your first love, who is Jesus. Okay, then it's still adding, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Uh, verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. That is all of these things. If we have these things going on, he says that we will not be unfruitful or barren. And that is a good thing. And I want to add to all of these, Let's add spiritual warfare, which really falls into the virtue 
up at the top where the valor and the courage and the boldness and all these things. Um, in verse 9, it says, but he that lacketh these things is blind or literally can't see. Figuratively, it's to be inflated with self-conceit, high-mindedness, uh, lifted up with pride or proud and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. In other words, if you don't have all those things, faith, virtue, all of those things, your salvation is powerless. And that is one thing that I feel like mine for a long time was powerless because I did not have the virtue, the valor, you know, uh, the patience, all of these things, which is a sanctification process, which is why deliverance, the casting out of demons is so important. He ends right there by saying, wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. That's that's a pretty profound statement. And the definition of diligence is to love earnestly, to choose steady application in business of any kind. You know, we, we need to be focused and um, obedient to the call that God has on our life and be about his business. You know, even Jesus at 12 years old knew that he was to be about his father's business. Um, it's a constant effort to accomplish what is undertaken with the exertion of body or mind without necessary delay or sloth and paying due attention. Again, to be focused. And that's one thing that I see that all the distractions that took place last year was to pull us away from our focus of what God has purposed us to do. In Matthew eleven twelve, it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And that word means trouble and pressure. Anybody suffer any trouble or pressure last year, I think that probably that was magnified because of the situation that people suffered trouble and pressure. I tell you what, you take away somebody's paycheck, there's going to be pressure. How are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to buy groceries for your children? How are you going to, how are you going to do anything? How can you put gasoline in your car? How can you go anywhere? How can you, you can't function. And what I see most that happened last year were people were jerked off the treadmill of life. And I'm not talking, you know, sometimes something will hit one family and this happens in their life. But this was the whole world, which I don't think we've ever seen anything hit the whole world the way we were hit last year. Okay. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, the word violent 
the violent that take it by force. It means vitally active, energetic, and forceful. That should be the definition of the church. Vitally active, energetic, and forceful. And when it says take it by force, take what? It. Take it by force. The kingdom of heaven. You're going to have to fight for that um, realm to have the kingdom of heaven manifest in your life on this earth. It's going to be a battle. And you have to go after it and take it by force. And the word force means you go after it and you don't stop until you obtain it. That's the kind of fervor we should have to to um, have the precious promises um, manifest in our lives. You know, when I started really learning about the kingdom of heaven, I wanted it. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is, the kingdom of heaven is a realm right here on this earth realm. And that's, that's where I choose to live. I am not a, a citizen of this world. You know, people want to get involved in talking to you about politics and everything. I, I said, I don't concern myself with it too much. I do vote. That's my responsibility. But I'm not even a citizen of this world. I don't worry with that stuff. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And it it is a real place that I used to, when I knew about it, I would always, Lord, show it to me. Show it to me. I want to know where it is. And, you know, if I find it, I'm going to tell everybody else about it. But, I mean, that's the kind of violence uh, that I go after the things of God. I want my inheritance. Jesus gave his life, shed every drop of his blood so that we could have peace, so that we could have joy, so that we could live in a place of rest, not like the world, not the panic-demic, you know, in a state of panic and fear and um, cowarding, you know, cowering down and being beaten down and oppressed and suppressed and depressed. And, I mean, I, I can't even imagine, I know that suicide has risen a lot during all of this violence, trouble, and pressure. And it's not over yet. It's not over. And I'm not so sure that we that it will ever be totally over. You know, Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. People say, do you think we're going to go through the tribulation? I said, I've already been through some of it. I mean, yes, we're going to have some tribulation. Jesus said so. So, you know, uh, my sister-in-law has a saying, suck it up, buttercup. And, and that's, you just may as well know it and, and enter in, engage, engage in this warfare. Um, John the Baptist came proclaiming the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one 
that would be sent from God to destroy the works of the devil. That's what it says in 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And if we join hands with Jesus Christ, that should also be our purpose. And we can't do it with a sword or a gun or anything else. It's got to be done in the spirit realm where he has given us. He's not left us defenseless. He's given us his name. He's given us power. He's given us authority. And it's time, saints, to begin to use that power and authority in every realm of your life on a spiritual level. We can have the victory that Jesus got for us. Jesus told Peter in Luke twenty two thirty one, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Satan desires all of us. Did you know that? It says in Genesis, when, when God put the curse on the serpent, he said, dust ye shall eat all the days of your life. What are we made of? Dust. And he wants to devour. It it says that he is roaming this earth like a, a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. Don't let him find you and give him the ability to devour you. When Jesus Christ has given you power over all of his power, none of us should be devoured. None of us should even be defeated because Jesus, with Jesus, you know what? It, it doesn't have anything to do with us. When when I share something with somebody, a testimony or something, and they say, oh, I could, I could never do that. You know what? Me either. It's not me, and it won't be you. We are simply vessels of the living God. Jesus, God, and the Holy Ghost are are living in you. If you are a Christian, if you're one of those true sheep, you have the Godhead residing in you. As Apostle Deborah said last night, um, our bodies are the temple. We are the temple of God here on this earth. And God gave me an open vision about that one time too. Um, I was praying and asking him, you know, how, how do we walk in the spirit? We're flesh. Um, and, and he gave me a vision of me walking across my living room and there were three young men. They were really demons, but there were three young men. I didn't know they were demons at the time. And as I walked across my living room and got close to the corner where they were, they all were crouching into the corner like they were terrified and I'm watching me, see this was a vision, I'm watching me walk across the room and in, I heard myself think in my head as I saw them do that, what's your problem? <laughs> you know, I didn't say it, but, and then I disappeared and the three came out of the corner and they were high-fiving each other. They were 
slapping their knees and they were celebrating and saying, she doesn't know. She doesn't know. And I, I was like, Lord, what, what does she who is me not know? And he said, when you walked across that room and they were horrified, they didn't even see you. What they saw, because demons are spirits, and we have the Spirit of God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost in us, and that's what the demons saw. They didn't even see Carla. They're not going to see you. They're not going to see you. They're going to see who is in you. They're going to see Jesus. They're going to see God and the Holy Ghost. And believe me, they will tremble. That's that's what the demons saw. And, and God said, that's what my people do not know. It changed my life because it took... It took my thoughts off of me. You know, who am I? I'm no, I'm, I'm a vessel. I'm a vessel of the living God and I am joining forces with Jesus to destroy the works of the devil. That's my focus is destroying the works of the devil. And that's one reason I love the ministry of deliverance so much because we destroy the works of the devil. We're breaking those chains off of people. We're giving them freedom to be who God created them to be and not who, who they think they are in their own eyes or, or to let anybody else define who they are. You will know who you are. And I did another teaching at Lake Hamilton and it's called, um, you will never be effective in the kingdom of heaven unless you know who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you because you'll be too afraid in the flesh to do anything. And we need to let that go. We need to realize who we are on this earth. And as time goes on, saints and people are in more of a panic. Um, they are going to start putting a demand on the Jesus in you. It, it'll be like the man that ran to Jesus when he got out of the boat. The, the man who had legion, he ran to Jesus. He wanted, he wanted to be free from that madness that he had been held hostage by. And that's what That's what demons do. They hold us hostage. You know, I love when Jesus, um, it says that Jesus made an open show of the demons. He shamed them. And I love that. And I love the ministry of deliverance to shame those devils. You know what? They shamed me for many years of my life. I had anger. I had I had controlling spirits. I had, um, well, it's kind of nice that I have forgotten what all I had, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it wasn't good. I can assure you that, <laughs> but they made an open show fear. That was the other one. Fear in junior high school. They were going to, they were going to give us a, a TB. They were going to do a TB test and, let me tell you, when it came my turn for them to prick me with those needles, 
it took four or five people to drag my heels. My legs were stiff like I was not going. But, yeah, fear. Fear made a fool of me many, many times. So I love that Jesus defeated Satan and all of his demons. But see, that's what we need to do for others. Because when when uh, Lazarus came out of that grave, it wouldn't that be something to see that happen? But Lazarus came; he literally came out of that grave. But it said that he was bound with grave clothes, chains. He was bound. He was not able to live his new life that he came into when Jesus resurrected him. That's the same way we are. We get resurrected, but we are bound with grave clothes, the things from our old life, from generations. Um, and I got to tell you what God told me about generational curses, because I'm challenged with this. Oh, listen, that was dealt with at the cross. There are no such things as generational curses. Jesus became the curse. Yes, he did. But as Jesus said, when Lazarus came out, he told all those that witnessed it. He didn't say, come here and let me remove your grave clothes. He didn't say that. He said, loose him. He said it to all of them that were there. Loose him and let him go. So that's what we are to do is to help people get free of those grave clothes. And it, it, it takes a fight. They'll say, oh, there's no such thing as generational curses. And I said, Lord, what do you say to somebody who says that? You know, sometimes God surprises me because he answers me right away. And it's so simple. He said, if there was no such thing as generational curses, there would be no need for anyone to get saved. Isn't that right? It started with Adam. All the very first generation is when the curses started. And yes, he did. He came and he became the curse for us. But it's just like getting an inheritance on this physical earth. If you received an inheritance, you're not going to have any of it till you go get it. (laughs) And it's the same way with this. We have to go after it with force. And that that takes action. It's a fight. Okay. Okay. So I never knew that I even had an enemy. I never knew I was in a war. But let me tell you, I'm here today. And I, I tell my grandkids, I tell young kids all the time that you, you're going to have to be watchful for that enemy because he wants to. Um, he wants to uh, corrupt you. He wants to corrupt you. But just like Jesus said to Peter, when he said Satan desires to have you, to sift you as wheat, you know what that word sift means? It means to separate by a sieve or a, a whisker. If you're a, a, if you're a cook, you put flour in this sifter. And you sprinkle the flour. It means to separate after being pulverized and reduced to fine powder by beating or grinding. 
That's what Satan desires to do to you. He desires to pulverize you. And, and if so, take a sifter and just shake you out as dust. But Jesus said, but I have prayed for thee. And Jesus is praying for each one of us. He is our intercessor. He said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, that means when you get to the other side of this, which should have been really encouraging to Peter. I think he probably got stuck on Satan desires to have you. (laughs) I'm surprised Peter didn't say, well, don't let him. (laughs) Don't let him do that. But Jesus said, when you're converted, when you succeed, when you get to the other side, strengthen thy brethren. And that's what we all should do. We've all gone through different things in our lives. We've all suffered different things. We've all, because of Jesus, made it. And then that allows us to say to someone else, listen, I've been right where you are. I know exactly how you feel, but let me tell you how I got free of that was through Jesus Christ. And then that allows us to share our faith with others and help them. Okay, I found it interesting that the term the devil, the devil is mentioned zero times in the Old Testament. Okay, now. He's mentioned, the devil is mentioned 60 times in the New Testament. He's referred to a devil 15 times and the devil 45 times. So altogether, that is a bunch of bunch of times that the enemy is mentioned in the scripture. And how in the world I could be a Christian for... um Okay, when I get to the numbers, I always trip myself up because I'm terrible in math. But I got saved when I was 23. And when I was 30 years old, so you do the math, I was a Christian for that many years and heard nothing about the devil. Nothing. But he he's in there a lot. Okay, as Satan, the word Satan is mentioned 15 times in the Old Testament, and 11 of those times was in the book of Job. So Satan is only mentioned uh, four other times. Okay, and Satan is mentioned 35 times in the New Testament and 18 times by Jesus himself. So we should not overlook, pass over, yes, he's been defeated, but listen, he's still active. He's got his agents, okay? Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul said, Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, but Satan hindered us. Can he hinder us? Yes. He can hinder us. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, a device 
is that which is formed by design, believe me, Satan is a designer, or invented, it means scheme, stratagem, project, sometimes in a good sense, more generally in a bad sense, as artifices are usually employed for bad purposes. So we know that Satan has a strategy, although we're not taught too much about his strategy. Um, and so when he shows up, we're, we're shaking in our boots. We're, we're crying and we're crying out to God because he's, he's shown up in our lives somehow. But let me just say that if you are ignorant of his devices, he can get an advantage over you and he shouldn't get an advantage over you. The word enemy is used 11 times in the New Testament, five times referring to Satan as a hateful, actively hostile adversary, especially Satan. He is mentioned as adversary five times in the New Testament, uh, one time in reference to Satan. The definition is specifically Satan as the arch enemy, at which he is. He is the arch enemy of Jesus, and he is the arch enemy of us. As 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's mentioned as the thief one time, as the devil and Satan. John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but to steal and kill and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have more abundantly. And, you know, many times I have to say to people, because, I mean, even some that would hear this message today would be saying, she's talking too much about the devil. She's just giving him too much credit. No, we need to be aware. And if you're not aware, then you're not in the battle. Because you don't even have an enemy if you're not aware and you don't understand his strategies. Jesus said in Luke ten nineteen, Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means should hurt you. I love that. He has given us power over all the power of the enemy. And if we weren't going to have to be concerned with the enemy, then why did he give us power over all his power? No, yes, we need to know. And we need to use that power that he has given us. He is our enemy. We are at war. And it's time we engage. Okay. Again, First John 3, 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Um, okay. So when, <clears throat> when the battle, I mean the real battle, I mean 
hell and everything that that means came to our house, I didn't know how to fight. And I want people to know how to fight. I feel like that's really my calling, although I love deliverance, but my calling is to teach the body of Christ how to fight. Um, so that's what the spiritual warfare is about, is fighting the enemy. And there is a difference between prayer and warfare. Prayer is when you are addressing God in thanksgiving, in petition, um, praying in intercession. That is prayer. Warfare is when you are addressing the enemy, actively addressing the enemy, which a long time ago, I lived my life on the defense. You know, I'd be happily living my Christian life and then the devil would show up and I would, you know, start trying to defend myself against him. But no longer. I go there first. I address the enemy first in that way. Because what God showed me is, because my question was, Lord, how how come every time I'm going to go somewhere or do something, my car breaks down or I have a flat or I get sick or the kids get sick, all these things start to happen. And what he made me aware of is that when I sit down to pray in the morning, he's already, the enemy has already assigned spirits to come and listen to my prayers and report back to him. Now he's got a strategy. Okay. It's going to be a flat tire. It's going to be a sore throat. It's going to be a migraine headache. It's going to be the kids. It's going to be, it's, that's what happens. I, I, I make this comparison. Let's say you live in a neighborhood. <clears throat> everybody knows everybody. Let's say you're on a cul-de-sac and y'all get together. You, you visit together. You drink coffee together. You barbecue together. Your kids are all playing together. And and then somebody moves out of the neighborhood and somebody that is uh, undesirable moves into your neighborhood. Let's say a drug dealer or a, a, a pimp or whoever would not be desirable. And they have this vicious dog and lets it run loose so that when you... Well, want to go over to your neighbor's house, you should open that door and that dog is just like running you back in your house. That's how I see the devil. Until somebody puts that dog on a chain and wraps him to a short chain on a tree, that dog is going to have his way. But when you chain that dog to a tree, now you have the freedom to live your pleasant life like you should be able to live it. So that's what we have to do to the enemy. You know, when David and Goliath fought, one of the things that it says about David is that he ran toward the enemy. He didn't run from the enemy. He ran toward him. See, I used to run from him. Now I'm running toward him because I understand that I have the power over him and I can, 
I have some things that I can do to destroy what his plans are, his strategy. Let's frustrate him for a while, right? So we don't have to be afraid to address the enemy because we've been given more power. This is the end of part A. Please play part B. Thank you. Our website is www.lakehamiltonbiblecamp.com and lhbconline.com. There are many hundreds of free audio files there. It's like going to Bible school at home.